0: How does that happen? Why does it happen? I mean, we know there's a lot of sinister characters in that story driving the plot, but there's a lot of people that are just people. A lot of people in that crowd crying for His death that are, that are just people. You realize when that whole event was over, some of them went home Walked into the door, kissed their mate on the cheek, and said, Man, you wouldn't believe what happened in town today. That they sat down at a dinner table exactly like you sit down at. They had dinner, they talked to their kids, they worked and they lived there in Jerusalem. They were just people. How do they come to the place of demanding that? I mean, if they knew Jesus, maybe maybe they'd seen Him raise Lazarus from the dead just a few days earlier. Or or maybe they'd heard Him preach, Blessed are the peacemakers. Maybe they watched as multitudes of parents would bring their children to Jesus and He would bless them. He just wanted people to, to know God. Why do you want that person dead and at the same time, not only demand his execution, but then ask that a murderer be released. Now, that's a real person, a real murderer. They live in a real community. Can you imagine saying, release the murderer back into my neighborhood? That, that's just what happened there. How does that happen? How could they, how could we do that? Let's look now at the Scripture and let's read the story that we just saw there on the screen. Look with me at Luke chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some there in the pew. I hope you'll use one and study and read along with us. Luke chapter 23. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. This is our third week now of looking at a couple of selected events in the Easter story. And we've said that each time we look at this story, we need to realize it wasn't put there just so we'd have something to read around Easter. It it wasn't put there so that we would know some historical facts surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus. But rather, each one of these stories God selected, God put there, for you and I to interact with, to learn, and ultimately to be called of God to something. What is God calling us to in revealing this part of the historical event to us? Let's look and see. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 13. It says, Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people. And said to them, you have brought me this man as one who subverts the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I have found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Neither has Herod, because he has sent him back to us. Clearly, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. For according to the festival, he had to release someone to them. Then they all cried out together, Take this man away! Release Barabbas to us! He'd been thrown into prison for a rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! Third time he said to them, Why? What has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and release the one they were asking for, who'd been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. As Luke starts the story here, he gives us a a cast of characters. There's Pilate, there's the chief priests, the leaders, and the people. Of course, there's Jesus and Barabbas. Luke's focus for us in his telling of the gospel is the people. More so than the other gospel accounts, Luke focuses on the people. You know, in the movie industry, they give out awards. They have the Oscars. You know, that's given out by the academy. Sounds so kind of uppity, doesn't it? You know, those are the awards from the experts. But then they have the people's choice. You know, that's just from the people who don't know anything. You and me. But that's what we identify with. There's the the experts, the people in charge. There's their choice. And then there's the people's choice. That's what Luke wants us to see today. He's not absolving Pilate or the chief priest of their responsibility, of their guilt in this affair. But he wants you and I to interact with the choice of the people. Now, Pilate has been trying to release over and over Pilate. This this story that I just read is the third time. In verse 4, Pilate declares him innocent and tries to get the the Jewish leaders to handle it themselves. In verse 6, he sends Jesus to Herod. Hoping that Herod will take care of it. Herod didn't. And now Jesus is back. And that's what we just read. And this is the third time. And inside this, there are three different times that Pilate says he is innocent. Now, Pilate's trying to make this case. Again, there's three groups of people there that you see. There's the chief priests. There's the leaders Now the leaders would be elders and scribes. Every tribe, there's 12 tribes of Israel. Every tribe would have elders and scribes. And so they're represented there. And then there is the people. And really right there in front of Pilate, and I don't know if that scene was correct. We don't really know how many people were there in front of Pilate. We would assume a large crowd. But that crowd represents the nation of Israel. The Messiah has been presented to the nation of Israel. And isn't it ironic that it is a pagan ruler who's trying to convince the nation of Israel that he's innocent? They demand his execution. It's very important that we see over and over and over the repetitiveness of Pilate declaring his innocence. You ever made a bad decision? You ever made a wrong choice? Of course, we all have. And and sometimes we'll say, well, I was rushed. I I was rushed into that decision. Well, you know what? I I didn't have all the facts. I didn't have all the information I needed. Uh, The people there that day can't say that. They were not rushed. They had the information. They were told over and over and over, He is innocent. But that's not what they wanted. Pilate tries to strike a compromise with them and says, I'll tell you what, I'll have him scourged. Now, right here is clear that the people are in the driver's seat. There is no reason to scourge him. Pilate's declared him innocent. He didn't say he's guilty of a lesser charge, so here's the, the punishment that goes with that. No, he said he was innocent. Well, if he's innocent, then at that moment, Jesus should have been released, case closed. That's it. But he says, I'll have them scourged. Scourging was just a horrific form of punishment. And a, a good scourger, the design of the scourging was to bring a person right to the point of death, but leave them alive. I mean, they hadn't been given the death sentence. So you brought them right to the point of death and left them alive. If they did indeed go on to survive, they would live with the scars and with the pain of that punishment for the rest of their lives. To scourge somebody that you knew was innocent, that you declared was innocent, is a horrible injustice. But that's what Pilate tries to do. Oh, he's guilty. Make no mistake. But that wasn't enough for the people. Now, Pilate is trying to go around the leaders and get to the people. As a matter of fact, from the Gospel of Mark, we know that that Pilate was aware that the leaders were envious of Jesus. And and so he's trying to get out this decision in front of the people, and he says, I'll tell you what, how about this? You, you, You can have one of two, Jesus or Barabbas. Jesus or Barabbas. Now, Barabbas, you saw the word there. He's described as a murderer. They charged him in my text. It used the word rebellion. Your text may say he was a part of an insurrection. The best way to describe Barabbas with the words that are being used there in original language would be what you and I see, what we think when we're watching the news and we see a a modern day terrorist. When, When we see a terrorist on the screen, that's what Barabbas is. That's what he's like. That's how he would have been viewed. Nobody likes him, but other terrorists. And that's what they called for. Barabbas is an interesting name. It's made up of two words, bar Bar means the son. And Abba, you might know from the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed out Abba, it means father. Barabbas' name is literally son of the father. The people are about to choose the wrong son of the father. There is some symbolism in this story. The real historical event, Barabbas is a real person, but there's also some symbolism because you see, you're Barabbas, and I'm Barabbas. What are you talking about? I don't. I don't look like that. I don't. I haven't done that. I don't act like that. What are you talking about? Barabbas has offended the law. He's guilty. He's been charged. He's been convicted. He now stands ready for execution. He has no hope but that Jesus stands in for him. And he's freed. That's you. You may say, I'm not as bad as Barabbas, but before a holy God, you are guilty of offending the law. You are guilty of offending a holy judge. You've been tried. The sentence has been given. You're to be executed. You have no hope. There is nothing you can do to change on your own the condition in your life. You stand ready, ready waiting for execution. But Jesus stands in your place. You have the opportunity to, to walk free. You and I are Barabbas. Barabbas. Pilate puts this choice in front of the people. Jesus or Barabbas. They choose Barabbas. Give us not our Messiah. Give us not our God. Give us the sinner. Give us Barabbas. Now folks, don't leave this as a story on the pages. Can you imagine in our community today saying, Release the murderer! I can live next door to me. I mean, what they're doing makes no sense. But that's what they call for. Pilate says, well, wh- what do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify Him. Pilate says, why? He asks the same question I've been asking all morning. Why? Why? Why would we do that? Do you notice in the story they never give a reason why? Nobody ever says why he's worthy of crucifixion. But that's what the people demand. The harshest form of punishment in the Roman Empire. I mean, literally, folks, the people are saying here, we not only want him dead, we want it to hurt. I hear the question a lot. As a matter of fact, uh, the question was really resurrected when this movie came out, *The Passion*, several years ago. The question: Who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? You know, I always say, well, we need to start with whose plan it was, and that's the Father. It was the Father's plan to to sacrifice His Son, to slaughter His Son for you, so you could be released from that sentence of execution. So that your guilt and your sin could be washed away. So the plan was the Father's. In a human speaking sense, yes. It was the Jews who delivered him up to be crucified. It was Pilate who authorized it. It was Roman soldiers who did it. I think if you ask Luke, who killed Jesus? I think he would say, the people. And the people is You. And me. I said, now wait a minute. I, I, I think I disagree with that statement. I, I disagree with my own statement. Can I do that? I mean, I wasn't there that day. I, I, didn't, I didn't say, give me Barabbas. I, I didn't choose for Jesus to be crucified. I didn't yell that out. I'm not, I don't look like Barabbas, or act, I hope I don't look like Barabbas. I don't act like that. I haven't murdered anybody. That's not fair to say that's me. I've never been a part of a riotous mob. I've never demanded anybody's blood, guilty or innocent. I, I, that's not me. Or is it? See, the answer to the question is, why would they choose that? The answer is no different from a condition that's going on in your life, just like their life. The reason that can happen is because they are sinners. They have a sin nature. It's their makeup. It's how they were born. You have the same problem. You have the same sin nature. We are born wanting our own way and resisting God's way. We may not like to look at ourselves like that. We I mean, say so I'm a pretty good person. Or, or or maybe we compare ourselves to others, you know? I mean, I may not be Billy Graham, but I'm sure not Barabbas. Yeah, you know what? We can line up all the people in history and there's some that are better than others and there's some that are worse than others, but every single one of them falls in the same category. Sinners who want their own way over and above God's way. And that condition means that you can commit any and every sin, even calling for the death of your own Messiah. Now, that doesn't mean you will commit every sin. Many of us will go to our grave without having committed every sin there is to commit. But a sin nature means that is our potential under the right circumstances. We are not immune from any sin. Unless, unless something changes. Unless we choose to be governed not by a sin nature, but God's nature. Unless we choose to relate with God instead of fight with God. Unless we choose to be a child of God instead of a child of Satan. You think we can make that choice? Well, man, how hard is that? What an easy decision. Yeah, I guess, I guess just like it would be easy to choose a Messiah over a murderer, right? Why do we make that decision so hard? One reason. Sin makes us stupid. Stupid is not a very nice word, is it? As a matter of fact, if there's children in here today, that might be a word you're not allowed to use in your home. That's a a good rule. Don't tell your mom and dad that the pastor said you could use that word. Stupid's a bad word. It's the only word that works, though. Sin makes you stupid. Sin makes us choose a murderer over a life giver. Sin makes us choose somebody who will steal from us over somebody who will bless us. You say, well, my my sinful decisions, my sins haven't done that. That's what your sins are always working toward. Building a murderer and a thief into your life over a life giver and one who will bless you. That is always the choice we are making. All week long, we've listened to reporters ask the question, how, how does Governor Spitzer make such a dumb decision? How does he risk so much? The, the, the fame, the, the position, the wealth. How does he risk so much for so little? Paid sex. Folks, the answer is super easy. Sin makes you stupid. And you know what? He never once thought he was stupid. As a matter of fact, I would dare say Governor Spitzer thinks he's smarter than everybody in this room. You see, we don't see that that's what our sins are adding up to. He didn't think he was being stupid when he was 8, when he was 12, when he was 17, when he was 33, and he was making one sinful choice after another. He didn't think that was adding up to anything stupid. He's brilliant. Look at him compared to most people. Sin makes you stupid. You know, even hearing that, we might say, Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I I don't see how that's what it's it's doing in my life. Every choice to sin makes you stupid. That's not to say that sinning doesn't work sometimes. Sinning can make you happy. Sinning can feel good. Sinning can help you get ahead. Sinning can help you get get even. Sinning can help you get what you want. All in the short run. You see, the stupidity of sin is that it can't see beyond its own nose. It never sees the cost. It never sees the consequences. Sin helps us build one big stupid life that at the end adds up to nothing, means nothing. Folks, the story of Easter puts right in front of our face just how stupid we can be when we choose our way over God's way. And you know what? You're not going to see it. You're not going to see how stupid you're being. And the Bible has explained why. In Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, our heart will deceive us. It'll tell us everything's okay. Our decisions and actions are working out pretty good and adding up to what we want. And I'll guarantee you, folks, there were people who left the crowd that day having just demanded the death of their own Messiah. There's people who left the crowd that day. They went home, and you know what? Things were fine at home, things were fine at work. Everything in life was working out pretty good for them. They had no problems. All of their choices and actions were adding up pretty good. And they had not a clue of what they had just done. Not a clue. Our heart will deceive us so that we think we're smart. Now, some in here today will say, Now, now, wait a minute, that's, that's not me. I know... I know what my choices have done. I know what my sin has done. I know what it's added up to. I know it's stupid. I know I need something different. I know my way, my wisdom is not getting it done. You know what? If you know that, it's because the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. You see, our heart's not going to tell us that, our heart's going to deceive us. That's the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. You're ready to make the right decision. You're ready to make the right choice. You're ready to choose Jesus. And you know, and the Bible says that when we choose Jesus, we get a new nature. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone, that's anybody in this room, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, if anyone is in Christ, now you've got to be in Him. You can't be right beside Him. You can't be down the road a ways. You can't be on the way. You can't be outside. If anyone is in Christ, oh, he gets a brand new nature. It's not that sin nature that's stupid. No, this is a smart nature because now instead of being driven by a deceitful heart, I'm driven by Jesus Christ. My life can now add up to something. It can now count for something. It can now have eternal value. I'm not guided by a deceitful heart, but by the wisdom of God. You know what the call of Easter is on our life? The call of Easter is to make a smart choice. The call of Easter is to make a wise choice. And this is that choice. Choose Jesus. Choose God's way for your life. That's Jesus. And then when we make that choice, that's not a a one-time choice that I I make at a church service. Not a one-time choice I make at at some crisis in my life. But when I choose Jesus, I then choose to choose Him every day. Every day I walk through life not guided by a sin nature. Because see, here's the problem. Even though that old nature is gone, that's what the verse says, I'm so used to sin... I'm so comfortable with it. It's going on all around me. Even with a new nature, it's real easy to return to it and go back to dumb decisions. So I've got to choose Christ daily. What do I mean by that? I mean just that. Choose Jesus. Not, not just in a church service, not just for your salvation, but choose Him. I've got a decision to make. What do I do here? I'm going to choose Jesus. Folks, I guarantee you, if you'll get used to saying the words, I choose Jesus, you'll know exactly what you need to do in that decision. I'm angry here. I want to I get even. I want to do something to that person. I want to go tell. I want to go make this right. Hey, maybe you should. But start with this. I choose Jesus. You'll be surprised. You're going to know exactly what to do. Hey, Tom, I'd love to say this is easy, but apparently from the crowd to us, it's not and God has put some things in our life to help us, things like the Holy Spirit, things like the Bible, things like the church. All of these things are here to instruct us, to encourage us, to help us, so that as we walk through life every day, we're saying, I choose Jesus. I'm not going to choose my way. Jesus is the way. I'm not going to choose my knowledge and my facts. Jesus is the truth. I'm not going to choose my way to get life and happiness. I'm going to choose Jesus because He is the life. There is nothing else. I don't mean to be mean, but don't be stupid. Choose Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, other than understanding this sin nature, I. It's so difficult to see how we miss this. You have no plans for murder in our life. You've got plans for giving life and life eternal. You've got no plans for stealing from us, but blessing and giving abundantly. And yet, Lord, day after day after day, we go out into this world and we choose things that steal life from us. We choose things that bring death and sorrow and sadness into our lives. Lord, there might be some in this room today who are still living under a deceptive heart. God, if that's the case, I pray right now you just would whisper in their ear and tell them, you're living a deceived life. Lord, there's many others in this room. We've already come to that place of understanding our deception. We've come to that place of understanding our way won't work. And we have turned from ourselves and we've placed our faith and our trust and our confidence in you. We are a child of God. We do have that new nature. But Father, sometimes we head back out into that world. And we start choosing Barabbas again. Lord, give us the courage, the instruction, the encouragement, the strength to daily choose Jesus. Your way is so good. Your truth is so good. Your life, it is wonderful. Lord, help us not to be stupid. Help us to choose Jesus. It's in His name. We choose to pray. Amen.